Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2 but pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a big quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review Dynamite. And what did you make of the first international version of this show? Terrible, increasingly tiresome tropes aside, fantastic. Oh, thank God. I was worried, <laughs> worried for a second there. Atmosphere to die for. Oh, my God. Intriguing plot developments that I've decided I trust the outcome of some great action, some thoughtful magic. The old AEW thoughtful magic in one particular segment in particular. This company has the capacity to truly take my breath away when they do something that I just find so clever. And we got that in a certain promo exchange. Um, Yeah, I was really happy watching this. Yeah, there was a couple of points on the show. I would agree with that completely in the fa- in the sense that there was a couple of points where the details were the most captivating bit. A lot was getting said, but there were just a couple of little lines here and there. A couple of points in the show that got you really, really excited for things to come while enjoying what you were watching, which used to be the magic of pick your utopian era of AEW, but that used to be the magic of it. Um, I kind of was doing the ups and downs for whatculture.com today, which you can find on the website now. And I don't know if you've had this situation where we've been sort of rotating this lately. You kind of come to the realisation that, like, you might get a six and four week, you might get a seven and three week, you might even get an eight and two week, but the 12 and zeros or the 13 and zeros feel a million miles away. And if anything, you've got more chance of having more downs week than an ups week. The utopia feels long and long into the distance. But as a result... I would classify this as the best kind of thing, the best kind of show that AEW can produce at the moment. A super hot crowd, a bunch of stuff that feels like it's starting to accelerate ahead of a pay-per-view, which is remains crucial to mm-hmm. AEW's business as well and how special those events should be because that's dipped. We talk about television every week, but the anticipation of the pay-per-views has started to dip too with a few wonky builds. So, yeah, it felt like a lot of things moved in the right direction. And at the very core of the most important things in this company... 
um, they arrived at, there was one really nice moment where they arrived at all the key characters kind of being on screen at the same time, giving you that feeling of, yes, this is still the elite destination for the best pro wrestling. There was little flashpoints to that. In, in fact, there was one at the very beginning like the, that kind of like gave you the good vibes too. So we talk about this being the vibes promotion all the time. You had that from the start as well. This, this wasn't the best Dynamite ever, but it's probably the best version of an AW Dynamite right now. Yeah. I think it's one of those where, as always, that, that my closing feelings on the show and my closing feelings on the entire episode, and obviously I feel great at the end of this episode, mm. so I was just really happy with it all. There are issues. We will get to them, of course. But as we often say, and as you alluded to there, Sige, the reason why some people say you're so bloody negative all the time is because we know you can do better. And they can do shows like this. You know, we're not into, we'd like a 12 and nothing ups and downs sort of show, but I'd rather this sort of a show than one where you come in and go, right, why have they done this, this, and this? Um, you know, the stuff that didn't go the way that we anticipated or hoped it would, you at least go, right, well, there's a pape in, what, a month and a half or whatever, a month, actually. God, this... Yeah, anyway, um, so you go, oh, I can see at least where they're going with this rather than just being like, huh? <laughs> right, let's start at the beginning of the show because the show opened. Right, right. Well, wait, how did it sound actually? Well, it's, it sounded like boom, let's go, eight, nine. Cock in a flash of light. Wednesday night, you know what that means? I love that they've got Jim Ross singing the theme now, seeing as he's not on commentary. Yeah, no, it's it's good, it's they're giving him a new job for Wednesdays. Yeah. Live as well, every week. Yeah. Live in the arena. They just don't <laughs> see it because the visuals are going. Uh, but yeah, uh, unsurprisingly, rowdy lot, aren't they? In, uh, yeah. in Canada, pretty uh, pretty rowdy throughout the entire show, but especially when it started, I was like, bloody hell. It's the most... It was incredible. Yeah, it was all right. It's the most obvious thing at the moment when you look at how uh, AW's business is uh, starting to look a little soft in a number of uh, areas, in a number of, like, geographic areas, I mean, in America. Uh, new markets are the ultimate safety net. It's not just a Canada thing, this. It's uh, you go somewhere brand new and the fans are going to come out for you and that felt so good again. That's... That is a real cheat code to achieving the heat and the excitement of the early dynamites, I think. If you come here, Tony, I promise we won't spoil it. No, mate, yeah, it's going to be enormous. Please I'd, come. Please, please come. <laughs> come Wednesday. Come, come, choose, come Wednesday. <laughs> um, come but, Friday, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, come for a week as a bundle ticket and we'll come on Friday, but we'll keep it. We'll keep it yeah. We've, uh, we've sat here and said, all right, that's, that's enough for, for new signings for a while, Tony. And Paul, to be perfectly honest, as well. Mm. Um, but there's one exception. Uh, well, there's several, but there's one particular exception that appeared on this show because uh, Excalibur, uh, Excalibur welcomed us. We've got Tony Schiavone. We've got Taz. And we've got the newest member of AEW's broadcast team, Renee Paquette is all elite. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I described her... Uh, in my article and indeed the news and indeed on Twitter because I just love this like development so much. I think she's wrestling broadcasting royalty at this point. Mm -hmm. She um, made herself such a crucial part of WWE's presentation at the time when the handcuffs on people like her had never been tighter. Uh, she shone through every segment she did. She was such a vital ingredient in WWE. She was one of the few things that made that product nice. She was at the core of the success of things like Talking Smack which people loved of Backstage, which like only had a heart because she was on it ultimately. And he's got all of them now, hasn't he? Indeed, yeah. Um, the the kickoff panels, which uh, like have been reduced to unwatchable dreck in her absence, and that's no disrespect to Kayla Braxton. Or, Certainly not. Oh, there's another guy in there as well. There's uh, Booker. Obviously, he's on there. Uh, sometimes I've uh, uh, Jerry the King Lawler shows up. Uh, 
JBL's a terrible Bradshaw, yeah, yeah, Bradshaw yeah, sometimes. Awful. Peter Rosenberg's the worst, the, yeah. w- the worst of all time. I don't know how long he's giving them a run for the money. <laughs> no, he's trying, isn't he? <laughs> Sam Roberts do it sometimes? Yeah, he's yeah. suddenly the lesser of several evils. That's yeah. quite incredible. But then there's also Kevin Patrick! Right, but he's had his flowers sorry, this yeah, week, so we're on, we're on a paquette, because he's had plenty that of flowers this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, she's flowers. 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 She's more valuable. Flower power. I'm gonna plow. Th- I'm gonna plow through. She's more valuable than ten wrestlers. Renee Paquette, genuinely, at, the, at this point and on that roster, more valuable than ten wrestlers. She's got uh, intangibles, as Jim Ross would say. <laughs> um, she's a good vice. Nice to see you would say about her. <laughs> a woman. She makes it seem outwardly for the first time in forever. The AEW was a nice place to work. What a contrast to the fights, the toxicity, the idea that Tony Khan can't manage this anymore <laughs> by having a Renee Paquette backstage, by having wrestling's favourite couple reunited under the same brand. There is just a million positives spewing forth out of this. And yes, on this very same show, and I know we will get to this, um, the obvious issues still remain, but she's powered out of my guest at this time. I want to believe she'll power through and power out of AEW's other problems with the role that she's going to be thrust into. Like, legitimately, I don't think it can be understated what an incredible acquisition I think Renee Paquette is to this product and this company. I think, or at least I hope, that she will drive actual change. The more that she is used, as she was too often throughout this show, the original huge pep was amazing. Mm-hmm. But then to watch her instantly get transplanted into that wacky, comedic... Well, comical, it's not comedic, it's not funny. Comical <laughs> yeah. um, backstage zone in which the entire locker room seems to congregate, waiting for the person that they're feuding with to talk. I just felt sorry for her. I went, it was a very uneven night for her, of which she had no role in my feelings towards it. It was yeah. just the way that she was presented. To just instantly be stood there as the stupid bollocks interruptions, which were themselves skewered tonight, which says so much. It was a little bit upsetting. Um, we've got a Q&A podcast later this afternoon, so look forward to that. And I know it was the first question that dropped. Um, asks how we would use her. Yeah. And I will reserve my answer until that pod. So listen to them both. As it was on this show, I will as well. Just not as a counter to that, because I completely agree. But the graphic drop. Again, she's as good as a wrestler. The graphic drop of Renee Paquette sits down with Brian Danielson and Wheelie Uta was as good as a match graphic drop. I want to watch that. Yeah. Like, not just because of the intrigue now of what's happening with the characters, but she is a, a perfect anchor for that type of task. With mm. Danielson as well. With Daniel, and that's what we're all thinking, as we should. Mm. Like, great chemistry. Uh, so she brings out Christian Cage, who gets a huge of course. Uh, it says, it's great to be back in Toronto. He's the face of Canada. Uh, and he's going to go ahead and guarantee a victory. He said, it's 100%, just like the Maple Leafs losing in the first round. Ooh, local team reference. Uh, and then he introduces us to his right hand of destruction. <laughs> and he's taking on Jungle Boy Jack Perry. They're slowly phasing it, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, that's his nickname, Jungle Boy, mm-hmm. now. Um and the story of the match early on, Jim Ross like nodding, says, "About goddamn time, that goddamn time <laughs> I'm trying to do." That's not an old old kick. It still make a difference in this goddamn business. An old old kick. I'd <laughs> be confused with an old oak tree. <laughs> um, there's a there's a new stable name that I'm gonna use the thing on for a little bit later as well. I'm looking forward to that. I saw it and wrote it down and went, "Oh, it's like an italics to remind myself." Okay. <laughs> 
So Jungle Boy, anyway, uh, Jack Perry uses his speed early on to get rid of get out of the power of Luchasaurus, of course. Um, and uh, he even does Christian's thing of standing on the back of his opponent, and then he jumped over and hit right hand when he stood on the floor. Um, and then Luchasaurus takes over. He counters a leapfrog into a German suplex, but then he misses a strike against the post, and Perry goes after his arm. So Luchasaurus just chucks him into the guardrail and uh, back suplexes him onto the side of the apron, which looked like it sucked. Uh, Luchasaurus obviously dominates during the break as a result of that, but he misses a charge in the corner, posts himself, um, uh, the table's been settled by Luchasaurus prior to this, and they're, ooh, ooh, going to go through it, uh, fighting on the apron. Perry avoids a uh, powerbomb at one point uh, with a super kick. Uh, Luchasaurus is, is oh, one hand holding onto the ropes. So uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry sunset flips him through the table, which just explodes brilliantly, of course. Uh, and this, this Christian leaving commentary, just burying Jack Perry from a distance to... Well, distract him. Um, Luchasaurus does the best sit-up ever. Certainly better than Kane's old, oh, bloody hell, that he used to do. Um, and just turns uh, Jack Perry inside out with a lariat. Um, Luchasaurus gets uh, crotched when he's up in the corner, uh, put in the tree of woe. He escapes that, though, and uh, buckle bombs Perry and hits him with a choke slam. Perry fights back, poison rana, kill switch. There's a... Christian, uh, for a two count, puts him in the snare trap. Luchasaurus just gets to the ropes, uh, and Perry goes up top, but Christian distracts him. So Luchasaurus super choke slams him, hits his finish. One, two, three. A disappointing result for Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, but let it play out, Sige. Let it play out, and it was a disappointing result for Jack Perry, but it was certainly not a disappointing night. They absolutely loved him. It was genuinely quite um, stirring to watch unfold. Um, this might be the high I'm on because I thought it was a great show. It might be ingrained hypocrisy. Who the hell knows? <laughs> I, in my head at least, and I think established through the beats of the story, this justified a distraction finish. Without actually saying it, and thank God for that, Christian Cage is living rent-free in Jungle Boy's head. He said some horrible things to him, and he can't even get at Christian Cage yet, and that must be killing him. And they built and in my opinion at least justified the distraction finish because he was constantly trying to goad Christian Cage and like using his arsenal mm -hmm. for some great near falls and some great action and great drama, but it served the dual purpose to let you know that Jack Perry cannot get Christian Cage out of his head. So if you're ever going to do a distraction finish, that was the feud and this was the match with which to do it. Um, I had reservations about the Derek Luchasaurus character, probably unfounded, because, you know, he's only been doing squash matches. And, you know, there's a there's a scale of greatness to a squash match, and I don't think he's cracked the midpoint, to be honest. I thought they were all terribly basic. Um, like Lance Archer and Wardlow... Mm. And, like, the Jade ones, like, ultimately there are, I've seen millions of pretty awesome squash matches in AEW. Hook. Hook. How could I forget Hook? Um, so it was disappointing, and that sort of tempered my expectations of what Derek Luchasaurus would look like in a full-length match. As it turns out, pretty great, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Because uh, this is really dramatic. He, like, gave Jungle Boy a ton. He really worked hard for him as well. But I was worried that the best thing about Luchasaurus is that he's the hot tag guy who does incredulous high spots, and it's pretty amazing. And it never lost its magic either because it always measured them very well. But I was thinking if you can't do that, and you shouldn't, 
because you're trying to be a heel here. Like, what have you got? Mm-hmm. And I thought he adapted some of his really cool stuff into a heel performance really rather well and seamlessly. Like the spot where Luchasaurus was on the second turnbuckle and I think Taz almost quietly bollocks Tony Schiavone, but it's Tony Schiavone. It's fine, you forgive him because he's... <laughs> forgive the fat old prick. <laughs> yeah, forgive the fat old prick. <laughs> Because they were jostling for position on the second turnbuckle, and Luchasaurus had his back to Jungle Boy. He was like pounding on his back, and they were sort of wondering, oh, what's he got planned for up here? And Tony Schiavone, probably because he was excited to see it, went, Poison Rana. And Taz was like, no, don't say that because I don't think they're doing it, and it'll be disappointing to the fans if they don't. And it wasn't, but it was fine because what Luchasaurus <laughs> did was tremendous. Yeah. Um, Jungle Boy sprinted. So I think do something maybe like the Kurt Angle run-up suplex, but a German. And then that awesome spot where Luchasaurus would pop up from the canvas, wrap his head around an opponent, and in one seamless motion, just drill it head mm. first. That was always a massive popper, and now it's a great heel cut-off. So I was happy with all of this, and the atmosphere was just to die for. I thought this was fantastic. Like a huge over-delivery based on, because of the Luchasaurus squashes, because of the feeling like the story's running out with juice, I think we'd all tempered our expectations mm-hmm. a little bit. My, I felt vindicated in my hope from yesterday that the... Um, I was completely wrong on this, by the way, and I'd like to admit that. Well, I felt vindicated in my hope that the AW Originals would go down extremely well. And if you consider this... Victory the, lap, is it? You, oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you consider this with the main event and a couple of other... Well, the, the, the title program, I guess. Like, that, I would say that was definitely the case. Canada was excited to see the AEW that they've waited three years for. Moxley said as much in his promo. Um, I just thought this was so, like, thoughtfully agented. This mm. was a good match, anyway, between, like, two wrestlers that have, like, not had loads of opportunities. Jungle Boy more than Luchasaurus, but not had a ton of opportunities to really step out as singles wrestlers. And as a result, it's kind of one, like both of their best singles matches. Jungle Boy's probably had better with MJF and here and there, but it's, I'd say it's Luchasaurus' best ever singles match. Jungle Boy's had quite a few, actually. Yeah, he's probably had more than I'm, than like I'm Adam Cole match was yeah, really was quite tremendous. Yeah. Um, but I would say it's Luchasaurus' best ever singles match. And there was just so many moments in here where I was impressed with how much thought they'd put into the agent of it. This idea that um, Jungle Boy is obviously, of course, he's aware of the size difference, So, but he's this is his former best friend, so he also knows all of his weaknesses and getting to watch that play out. You mentioned the Poison Rana spot. Jungle Boy, when they were a team, spent half his time on Luchasaurus' shoulders. So it stands to reason that he would know when and where to deploy the perfect counter from that position when Luchasaurus think, well, I've got him in trouble now. Like, maybe I can do an electric chair, mm. but there's a perfect counter to that. So that like played into it perfectly. The idea that Christian Cage was more than content to sit at the commentary table and Jack Perry decided to do the big sunset flip powerbomb to draw him out of it, thinking that, right, well, I'm going to get under your skin, Christian. And then that being reversed for the finish was inspired storytelling Mm. between Jack Perry and Christian, especially because this match scanned as a match to set up a different match, and yet they've kind of opened the door for a rematch between these two first. So in a story that desperately needed a quite elegant delaying tactic, they've found one. I was like, I was really, really impressed with this, and I do want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, the danger of having Luchasaurus win here is, oh, great! So he can't even beat the the you know. So I know he's massive, obviously, yeah. but he can't even beat him. How on earth is he going to beat him? But the story was, despite how big and terrifying Luchasaurus uh, Luchasaurus is, he had his number. He had him beat, yeah. but and he was obsessed with breaking his friend's bones or whatever he said in that promo. But also, there's this weasley little twat there who was just like. 
It's like <laughs> one second you take your eye off this giant dinosaur man and you get super chokes landing here with his finish. So, mm. yeah, really good stuff, this. And like you say, you could do uh, a, a rematch in the, in the coming weeks for... You know, a spot at uh, Christian Cage if he's, you know, recovered. We don't know, obviously, at the pape. Or you can just run this back at the pape, stepped up, or with some sort of justification behind it. Hang him in a Christian cage above the ring. Yes. That's what you do. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So welcome to AEW, Renee Paquette. Uh, You'll be a backstage interviewer for the night. Get used to it. Um, Because uh, Ethan Page is totally Hathaway going to be interrupted by Matt Hardy and Private Party, I could not give less of a toss about this. I've got to be honest. So no. they've right. So by the way, Stokely Hathaway's outfit excellent. But that aside, and Ethan Page getting the, and also Ethan Page getting the pep, obviously Stokely Hathaway's. I meant to get this for the soundboard, and I forgot. Yeah, was great. <laughs> but the story here, and there's another one later on this show that I was just like. Skip, <laughs> like I don't care about. So they've bought the contracts from Jose, the assistant of private party. So they now work for the firm, but they're putting that on the line in a match between Isaiah Cassidy and Ethan Page on Friday. Which, right. if, if, yeah. which if they private party, if the private, if Isaiah Cassidy wins, private party can leave the firm. But if <laughs> if Ethan Page wins, Matt Hardy becomes part of the firm as well. Yeah, it's. Absolutely disgraceful, the lack of agency private party have as characters, and I think less of them every single time they're on screen because they are just pawns in some stupidly convoluted game played by people who aren't over. Mm. (laughs) That's ultimately what it is. Um, And you know what? Ethan Page is going to get a massive reaction in Canada. Yes. Not over... That's probably... Brutal, because Matt Hardy's always going to be over to a decent level, but not for me. So it's a very subjective take. You aren't over to me and to a lot of your more snarky, cynical voices, I guess, in the fandom and the critical community. When AEW was running nine and a half out of ten dynamites every single week, he was the point five. Yeah, yeah every yeah. week he was the point five. And this thing's completely rushed. The stakes are kind of pathetic. And whenever I see Private Party getting sort of tug of ward between these no-hopers or these going-nowhere acts, some of whom are just proxies for Andrade at this point. I just think, what a mess. Get Just get rid of it. Absolutely get rid of it. I love the idea of AEW as this promotion where everything matters, but come on, it's weekly wrestling. Even I'm not so like committed to a prestige drama level of continuity where I'd be like, no, no, no. Cannot drop that. This is breaking bad days. <laughs> so I'd love it to be. It's best it can be, but it can't be because it's weekly episodic soap. That's the format. Mm. That is the level of quality that they've transcended so often. But I remember the magic of Private Party, and it kind of distilled the magic of AEW as well. It was a new tag team act. Remember coming into work, me and you. Me after and, watching yeah. that being the elite that week that the young boys. It was the road to the road to the it young book the, showcase them on. Yeah. Oh god damn, we, we were so excited. Like, they came across as the nicest guys, so happy they got a shot. And what was really nice about it was they had agency. They really did. There weren't these are oh, they're a bit green and they're a bit raw, yeah. but they're very exciting. So what we'll, what we'll do is with these young lads is that we'll just put them in the performance center, teach them how to work, <laughs> and then um maybe we'll call them up if we're happy about it. Felt like out of the box, Jesus Christ! I've never even heard of these lads, and they're blowing my mind. They beat the books. 
Yeah, they beat the Bucks yeah, so. in the tournament. Um, but the most that was their best match, and still is, which is an indictment. But they had they were part of a three way at the very first Fighter Fest. Yeah, and I was like, these lads are unbelievable. And I thought, you know what, you don't need a performance center. You can trust young independent home guys, and what agency they have as characters to just walk, waltz right in and steal the show. Unbelievably high on them, and now. They are just pawns, and it's just honestly. It was an overcorrection from the fact they needed a bit of development. They needed a bit I remember of watching yeah. them shows and being like, ah, oh, rough around the edges here. But you don't overcorrect to the extent you have done in the last three years and, uh, to put them back with it. Like, this segment for me bordered on like creative malpractice. I'm not surprised that it's either a tease and a lie or it's actually happening. But I am not surprised that they're sort of casually separating MJ from the firm. Because if you boil this down, the firm have bought contracts that they are willing to put up in a match t- uh, 24 hours later that they then <laughs> may lose. Like what a terrible business decision from the point of view of the firm, and a brilliant one from Andrade, who's sitting at home, raking it in while not even coming to work, right? If, you, if you're trying to like, observe the case, yeah, yeah, yeah. an absolutely terrible storyline development. Whilst they're supposed to be tethered, and they are because of... Like, Forbidden Door stuff, the firm have just beaten up John Moxley in GCW yeah. with this sort of implication that they've been sent by MJF, right, to sort of weaken him and take a title off him there just to show that he can take a title off him in AEW. At least that's what I was supposed to take from That's him. what I read from Friggin' it. big cash showing up in GCW. I want to tell <laughs> this to AEW, right? That was a politically enforced uh, decision. Aye, uh, yeah. But, like... Well, congratulations, by the way. I think it's to Andrew Pollard, who wrote the article, uh, AEW World Champion Loses Title on GCW Show. And understandably, everyone went, what? I mean, I'm tapping my head like Bobby Heenan there. That's absolutely inspired. But if that's, so that's right. These acts are supposed to be tethered to MJF. That reminds me of the height of the corporate ministry and the Undertaker and, say, Triple H or whatever, the big stars. And it's like, wow, the corporate ministry are dominant. And then you just look to the left and the right. And it's like, ugh. It's Midian and Viscera and the Acolytes. These suck. Mm. These apps, but the, the, the genius of the corporate ministry was like, big stars. Like, these guys can take out Rock and Austin. Well, Triple H and The Undertaker give them a fight, but these guys are absolute nerds. That's where you're almost at with MJF and the firm because the firm have been so reduced. Uh, like, they'll probably try and use the firm and it'll be a red herring, this thing with MJF and um, Stokely. Stokely. But, oh, like, this was miserable stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, AW's John Moxley loses world title was the article written by Andrew at the weekend. Yeah, well played, sir. Well played, sir. He's all right. Um, and then, Thank so we you go for f- your clicks. We go from that. Speaking of me just going, oh, God, get on with this show. Uh, <laughs> this is the low point for me. QT Marshall, I love him, but I was like, oh, well, you know where this is going. And he's just like, what's what's the deal with Ward Joe? Huh? How do you get that name? And, uh, of course, that brings them out. Um, and QT Marshall. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Uh, in his corner, he's got Nick Comoroto and uh, Errol joining them as Aaron Solo, in the words of CM Punk. Um, yeah, don't put the other over. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, Ward Joe versus Comoroto and, and QT Marshall. Uh, Aaron Solo gets murdered as part of Ward Joe's entrance, basically. Uh, Comoroto stopped the muscle buster that um, that Joe was going for. He gets chucked out to the floor. And I'll, nev- I'll never not pop at a Joe... Hey, coming off the top, are you? Bye. <laughs> Spot. I think it was Marshall coming off there. Uh, he gets hit with a huge lariat from Wardlow. Uh, he launched Comorato into multiple overhead throws. Comorato runs straight into a spine buster. Joe holds him down. Wardlow hits a sent on. Uh, Joe puts him in the coquina clutch, gets the submission victory, and post-match, um, Marshall, uh, QT Marshall eats just, just the one powerbomb, but a brief squash this. Yeah, like... 
talk about the match and the post-match angle altogether, or oh, talk yes. about the match briefly because the post-match was far well, better than the match. What I will say on the match, well, not then. the match itself. I just, I just couldn't give a toss. It wasn't promoted ahead of time. It was the last thing they added to the show. I know there's a real undercard stink about Wardjo. I, I do. I can see that. But in the same breath, I kind of think it's working for Wardlow. Like, I do feel like he's more relevant on the shows than he was in that... The fans are loving it in pretty much every market. In that difficult post-MJF period where they were really struggling, uh, like, for Wardlow to find his voice again as a character, this is working for him. I think it's because it's actually... It's kind of helping Smojo, too, because it's like he's the veteran with the younger, cooler version of... Not quite of himself, but they're both just monstering these guys. I think it's... I'll take this, because I think it's better for Wardlow to be doing this than now. I'm prepared to take it. I'm prepared to be more receptive to it after getting an actual TNT title defense that ripped last week. Yeah, maybe yes. that, maybe yeah, that yeah, helps. Yeah, I think that yeah. helps a lot. Um, tell you what, before we get into the post match, right? Oh boy, I hate this because my favorite thing, and they didn't do it this week, but it was fine because of the timing. But to this day, one of my very th- favorite things about AEW because it proves that they can match make. And even though I do sometimes get tired of certain matches I'm not interested in and get to the point. There's always one match when they say, this is what's on Dynamite next week. And it's like, and then, yeah. Oh, my God. Can't wait for that. And that isn't just a match graphic. It what goes into the match graphic. Can't wait for her to do that on camera now. But yeah. yeah. That'd be great, isn't it? <laughs> and it's what the match graphic captures and conveys about the, the characters that you like and how they interact and all the rest of it. We are getting anti-match graphic drop energy in the penultimate quarter hour right in the first bit of the show when they invariably announce four or five. Yeah. And there's always a sixth match that just gets snuck in that (laughs) you wouldn't promote because why would you? But you need to fill a bit of time in the segment. You don't necessarily. You could have just allocated some time elsewhere, but regardless. (laughs) And then there's always that anti-match graphic drop energy where it's like, huh? (laughs) And it's a bit of a bummer. And you see, I'm not being funny, but QT Marshall over it. Totally over it. Um, he's good at what he does, but there's so much better, like, talent and storyline, like, stuff and heft mm. to exploit. Like, where's Miro? I've seen more QT Marshall and Brian Pillman Jr. on screen in the last two episodes of AEW television than I have Miro. That is a significant resource allocation issue. The women's segments being brought together is still a huge problem. Yeah. Let me do that. Maybe yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's the fact that like you still get Nyla Rose, and then it's like, well, in a minute, the match is going to start. Yeah, exactly. Like, that is absolutely going to happen next. It's still weird. <laughs> I that. do love that at the start of the show. Mum comes home. Mum, what did you get from me from the shop? I got you a bottle of pop. Hey, I got you a, a bar of chocolate. Fantastic. I got you a jar of skills. Hey, I got you some kale. What? I got you <laughs> some... What, what did you put there? What was the one before? After? Right, Let's go, wig. No, eat your veg. <laughs> why, am I, why am I looking at this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so anyway, match was more what it was. Straightforward, obvious. But afterwards, it's time for it's time to peps. Uh, the work culture peps because uh, Prince Nana's there. He's great um, because before the powerbomb can symphony can come out, uh, Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony come out, uh, and uh, Cage is like, "No one wants to see you powerbomb QT Marshall," and he starts uh, talking about FTR, which obviously brings out FTR. I went deaf briefly at this point. Oh my god, the FTR pop was. Was the Road Warriors pop, basically. It's ridiculous. They're getting a bit of the defiant WWE crowds of the 2020. Push them! Push these men! Yeah, yeah, they're getting that kind of pop. That's not the best pop. It's a good pop. Oh, yeah. It's not the most ideal pop. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so Dax lays out a challenge to the embassy, as they are known, uh, and says, well, you know, we want to fight you, but we can't ask Wardrow. They just haven't matched. And I was like, well, they had a two-minute match and they wrecked their opponents. <laughs> they weren't really putting any pressure. But I get where you're coming from. And he says, uh, but yeah, we can't do that, plus numbers, blah, 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 blah. Um, but we have got a, a Toronto boy who can come and help us, and he'll be helping us on Rampage. Uh, we've got the perfect partner, and uh, hey, Cash, what time does Rampage start? And he goes, I think it's about 10. Hey, Sean Spears is back, and he gets, obviously, another Hans <laughs> Mormon in the crowd. I was saying Preston Vance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he comes down, uh, hits, gets the ring, big rig from FTR, and they all stand tall here. Um, can I be critical of this a little bit? Ooh. Dax Harwood said, and it's fine because you can catch the bleep button, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> and I have a love-hate relationship with him saying effing hell because... He's a bit of a hypocrite at his core, Dax Howard, isn't he? He's like, I don't need five-star matches. I'm great. I know I'm great. I don't need bloody ratings. A crowd pop. I'm going to get the company potentially into trouble by swearing because of how love I love, how much I love the adulation. Eh, make your mind up. <laughs> I think he prefers it from the fans, which he would probably... I'm not speaking for him, but my inference is that he much prefers the gauge of a crowd reaction to a critic giving him a star rating. But it's just it just feels a bit off for me. When he came out and he was so much more in love with the crowd reaction than the dispute that was sort of simmering outside the ring that he was trying to sell, I just thought, come on, focus. Focus a little bit. He's just... For a man who says he doesn't need validation, he, <laughs> he kind of loves the validation. And it's just a pattern with that on Twitter where it's like they spent pretty much the last three years hinting that they're not happy with the creative and going to be retiring at some point soon. And at the same time, it's like, you, you love it a bit more than you're <laughs> letting on on Twitter. I don't know, just enjoy it all the time and don't do these little games that you can sometimes play because I just it, it really annoys me about mm. them. It stops me from being in that Toronto crowd, if you like. I am... Um this match is so inessential, and I knew that before they booked this segment, and it was just, he himself made it feel more like a vehicle than Tony Khan did Yeah, to get the pop. I get that. I, I'm not actually asked about the match, but I quite like the Sean Spears return. Yeah. Um, Love Sean Spears. I wrap this up in uh, the match as well as like an overall little bit of television. I would say, again, I think it kind of over-delivered because the crowd were banging into a short match that looked boring on paper. Um, Sean Spears was a nice and unexpected hometown popper. Like, you do, you have been sort of advised to forget about him existing since MJF's come back and he's not been by his side. It was a really nice, and they didn't focus on it, and this is what AEW should be for because it encourages you to do so. There was a nice moment where Sean Spears went up into the corner and Wardle looked a bit suspicious, and it appeared as if, for the time being at least, they were able to make peace with one another, which I think is interesting because I thought it was interesting when FTR and Wardlow made peace with each other, as if to sort of suggest, now that the poison is out of our friendship, maybe we can just be friends like, I want to believe that this is the AEW where that isn't nothing. Yeah. That the four of them have made peace with one another because actually, you know, like all along they were enjoying time in the pub and then, oh God, MJF's saying, right, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> hi, boss. Uh, brought us all together. Yeah, hi, still. boss. Who we beating up this week? Great to see you, mate. Is he off soon so we can just get back to having the crack? Like, <laughs> like I want AEW to be the promotion that 
eventually zeroes in on that. The man, the man is the devil sitting up there in that seat, and the four of them are like nice, wholesome friends again. Maybe that will matter, you know? Um, or MJF turns, and he doesn't want the firm, and he wants them back. Uh, like I like that. Uh, we know that Sean Spears, the perfect 10, has a way shorter lifespan than the banter boy of being MJF's sidekick. He was so, incredible in that role. Unbelievable in that role. So I don't know how well this can go long term, but I, I quite enjoy seeing these characters are real people and there are real issues to address that they're going to do it gradually. And I didn't mind that. Do you want to hear a start? What's that? A pretty eye-opening start. I haven't done the numbers, but I'm fairly certain it will be an eye-opening start if anyone actually crunched them. I'm not going to crunch them, right? Between the um, FTR and Wardlow angles with Lethal, Satnam Singh, and um, Sanjay Dutt. Mm -hmm. The match at uh, All Out, it was, I think. And then the odd bit of stuff like the Rampage um, angle, and then this one. I'm fairly certain at this point that the pinnacle, loose pinnacle babyface reunions are like, 50-50 with the times that, that Pinnacle actually appeared as a five-man unit on television. <laughs> yeah, that feels about right. Feels it's got to be close. I understand the Pinnacle when they were feuding with... It's probably wrong, and I'm just being snarky. But when the Pinnacle feuded with the Inner Circle, they were doing brawls and parlays and all. When that ended, the Pinnacle appeared together like three times on yeah. screen. <laughs> so it very uh, post-Blood and Guts, it, I'm sure they are neck and neck, yeah. which is wild. While we're on this... Have FTR had a dynamite match since they fought the Young Bucks? Because I just can't think of one. Yeah, that dickhead um, idiot, CM Punk, broke his own foot. Oh, that six-man, yeah. Because he was so high on be, how over he was. Yeah, that could be the last one, couldn't it? So it's funny, it's funny how I... The, Hang on, wasn't that before the Young Bucks match? Was it well after? Was it? It was well after. Yeah, they were the champs, weren't they, at that point? It was April, the FTR Bucks, because it was after the Briscoes match. It was the oh, same week. Yeah, yeah. That was to give the FTR... The FTR Set them week up for the summer and yeah, so it's funny you know just you know because apparently the elite are like um, so obsessed with gratifying their own egos and um, getting all those star ratings and the star ratings <laughs> that they'll cause the up to the press just to get them just to get them. <sighs> Who would need that adulation? Oh, I'm gonna pop! I'm gonna break my fucking phone! Broke my foot! You know what I mean? It's like, come on, these are all. Every single professional wrestler in the all. world is a spotlight-hungry, pop-starved egomaniac. Nice kick. Shame if someone ate it too. <laughs> and that's great. That's You've got something in you that makes you want to do this. And at its best, I adore this. So that's great. Just don't be a hypocrite about <laughs> it, for God's sake. I work with children... Wee! I got a pop! <laughs> you know when like kids just get so hit up and like, they're going to run into a door because they're just so amped up. Wee! And they jump into the crowd. That's, that's childish. Oh, man. You just pick, you maybe picture CM Punk like there's a big like sort of cartoon book at the bottom saying, complete chaos going down the slide. <laughs> Wee! Into the press conference. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, I miss him dearly because he's a pro wrestling genius. <laughs> yeah. and, I love F and I love FTR. I'm just a little bit gutted that I didn't get to see Kenny Omega in Canada. Can the you imagine the huge pep? The duality of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> just, he saved the dog, man, and got suspended. <laughs> it's just not fair. Interestingly. Can I just say, this is all a bit of a performed bid. Purely 
through my inherent love and possible bias towards Kenny Omega. I don't think Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are angels, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. I just really wanted to see him in Canada. Interestingly, on that, on and Omega, I don't know what bloody happened. Maybe the maybe CM Punk didn't say anything about Gold Cabana. Who the hell? No, mystery will <laughs> always be preserved. You made a great point about um, how we were talking about the uh, anniversary episode not featuring the Elite or Punk because, for all we know, and we are completely on the outside of this, there could be legal ramifications to showing bias by yeah, by, virtue, if by they, virtue of a mention or a glorification. Yeah. If as I put it, right, because I think I said this in the office and not potentially on a pod, but if I did, the microphones will forgive me. <laughs> if they no, said... No, we did. Yeah, we talked about this. Punk and the Elite were a big part of AEW throughout its history. We're going to do a lovely theoretical five-minute video package on AEW over the last three years. If there was like three more seconds of the Elite in a positive light than Punk, they could say that's um, a very subtextual dig at my mm. client and all the rest of yeah. it. Cut to later on mentions of all my friends have gone like well is that revealing that well, there have been developments well did you see a steel on twitter no um his tweets are protected but someone ripped one of his tweets and it was you know um teeth weren't protected there's this there's a film and i don't know whether what it is the godfather uh, no starks <laughs> he's not here today no okay <laughs> um so what is it? I'm What's the up, film? He's looking up the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ace Steel's not attempted a cryptic tweet, has he? Of course he has. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, you know he's got he's a you know it's the least cryptic Blues man. Brothers. Blues Brothers. Remember when he tried to cryptically pick up that contract on Dynamite? Think I'll take this. Thanks very much. I'm a burglar in plain sight of thousands of people. Ace Steel, all the bloody ROH bots, the ex wrestling observer newsletter subscriber, click on Twitter. Hey, those elite guys are passive aggressive assholes. <laughs> Have you seen Dax Harwood's Twitter? Right, but forget that. Forget that for one second. Uh, the elite are just passive aggressive arseholes. The real chads, the real beast energy here is elicited by CM Punk and A Steel. What does A Steel do on Twitter? He posts um, the Blues Brothers um, freedom scene. So, so there might have been. So maybe. Yeah. So there that might is have been some, resol- some so resolution. Maybe he just likes the movie. <laughs> Honestly, man, I remember I've never that. seen Blues Brothers. No, I mean, either, either. you know 80s. the iconic scenes because of the references to the yeah, other things, yeah. don't you? But I'm yeah, a big um, '80s film guy just mm. makes me uh, puts me back in a more simple headspace. Innocent times, but I, no, I don't really like the Blues Brothers. That uh, that week, I've where seen it, but I don't think I like it. <laughs> where Stigler and Punk were together, and like. AEW would enjoy this idea that, like, um, Punk and Moxley, you were being invited to pick your favourite. Neither of them were Moxley. Like, neither of them I miss Punk, man, he's so good. And then, and this is it, right? And then A Steel is there. And I'm like, ah, CM Punk's got a Don Callis now. I'll pick Moxley. Done. <laughs> like, these, these two goddamn assholes, like, together. That was, that was the turning point where it was like, <laughs> there is one now clear heel and it's Punk because he's, Moxley hasn't got a dick in him. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. So returning us to uh, <laughs> returning us to AW. The point. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and speaking of... Uh, I'd say this in the nicest possible way. People who've got dickheads with them. Chris Jericho's backstage. <laughs> got Danny Magic. He's got a cool hand Ange. He's talking uh, about his match with uh, Brian Danielson. Uh, Ange cuts a great promo calling Brian Danielson a liar, saying, you poached Daniel Garcia. You broke up our family. Uh, um, and uh, Danny Magic says, last week hurt me a lot more than it hurt you, Daniel Garcia. I'd love the, the, the energy... You think this has been fun for us? It's not! His face like shakes, doesn't he, when he says the words. <laughs> I watch him when anyone else is talking. <laughs> Chris Jericho could be there. Ring him on a world champion. Kind of promo. I'm like, cool, yeah, out of the way. Uh, what's Daniel Magic <laughs> doing with his face? Um, Jericho reiterates the, you're my little brother, and these are your two dads. That's the best crack. It's a, why would it be that way round? <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, I, I want to know where Jake Hager fits in the family. One week he's got to like, and who, who's him to him? Like, where where is he going to pitch him? Uncle? He's Cousin? Not, he's got to be older than Jericho. Hager's yes. got to be older. Oh than yeah. yeah, great Uncle Hager. He's like he, he's like your angry grandpa. Like the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't understand the references that we drop. Obviously, <laughs> old man Hager. And when Hager goes and creeps. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, Garcia's not been taking his calls. Um, he says, tonight isn't about cheating. I mean, after all, they're in Canada. This is not about diplomacy. This is about dignity. <laughs> uh, he's like, no. <laughs> At all, will honor. The Ocho. The Ocho. Yeah, that's it. Great. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, then it was time for Billy Gunn versus Swerve Strickland. Yeah. <laughs> Did what I needed to do this. I did. Big you problem. don't like Billy Gunn. You're the only guy who doesn't like Billy Gunn. I had a big problem with this. I had a few big problems with this, actually. Uh, so Caster does lots of Canadian references in his in his rap. That, it gets a huge reaction. <laughs> a huge rap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Billy Gunn. You stay out of this. Billy Gunn just got a pop for taking his top off. 
Uh, what a work, yeah. It's me, I pop for that. Yeah. That's what, oh, that's fair that's enough, what wrestlers are supposed to look like. Thanks, Billy. Remind, remind a few folk around here, if you ask me. And yeah. Jim. Don't maximize your minutes, maximize your muscles. It's all about cornet, man. <laughs> You're the one that a wrestler should look like there. I don't like Jack Guys. <laughs> I know That's you love Jack Guys. Jack Guys are class. Have, have, you, have there been any clues in the past about you pointing this out? <laughs> you like Jack Guys? Um, yeah, I think I've seen a few. Um, so Gunn uses his size early. Why wouldn't you if you look like that? Yeah. Um, swerves quick and mint, obviously. Uh, he jumps on the apron, hits a springing drop, kicks the leg. He's targeting Billy Gunn's leg. Uh, does so during the break. Uh, as they spill to the outside. Slingshot, diving knee drop to the floor. Uh, lights up Billy Gunn with strikes. Uh, Gunn fights back, though, and hits a tilt wheel slam to get a bit of distance and kind of pull himself back together. He teases the old... Yeah, because we established just uh, when we're previewing Monday Night Raw... Um, on Monday, it's out of date, but mm. go back and Some check it out. Some people might not listen to the WWE coverage. Yeah, and yeah, WWE yeah. Coverage so uh, no, it's worth a listen. What? So we got to the bottom of it, the mystery. Twenty-five years, and we figured it out. Yeah, we twenty-five years of figuring it out. Suck, suck it, suck it. They're talking about the cacks. The cacks. So Again. basically, we decided to gently satirize <laughs> this catchphrase, which is quite remarkable that it took hold. Mm. By shoehorning in sucking gag stuff in a different <laughs> song lyrics. Who was it who shared that amazing Shawn Michaels thing yesterday? Oh, my God. That was uh, Andrew Dice Clay on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Shawn Michaels uh, responding to a heckle. You be Shawn. I'll be, I'll be the guy. Hey, Shawn, how tall are you? 5'2"? Five two? Two? I'm 10 foot tall and I'm standing on my wallet. Suck it! <laughs> and he points right at his cack. Square his cack. 99. God, I love Shawn in the 90s. <laughs> I don't want your life to fall apart, but I do a bit. <laughs> my God, there's business was better with you in it. Um, it was in, it was in the toilet actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 financially, objectively. The second, he, the second he retired, it actually boomed. My favorite wrestler. And the second and he returned, it went back again. My favorite wrestler ever, and Shawn Michaels' life in pieces. Literally no buys, <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, Billy Billy teasing it. I'm looking at our watch, thinking, wait a second. <laughs> but now it's time for a scissor, in fact. Uh, he misses it. He scissors himself. Uh, misses a famous uh, <laughs> Swerve. It's a flatliner. Swerve stomp off the top. Gets a two. Uh, Swerve's getting a bit cocky uh, on the cover. Misses his home. Like my gag. <laughs> misses his home run kick. Uh, I think Gun missed his finish. Wow. Thing. Do, 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 do. Please take my gag, please. <laughs> I've done all the shield and Moxley now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of the match. Swerve got to roll up and grab the ropes for the win. <laughs> you know, when they show those on those network specials, when you see the pieces of paper backstage and it's like, don't go near the Spanish announce table. No, um, no, like knee work, because it's obviously safe for the main event or whatever. Like, is there one in AEW permanently for the last three years? That's the biggest bone of this. Protect Billy Gunn at the finish at all costs. Jesus Christ, is that guy? Darby Allen, yeah. The Darby Allen one. Like the guy, I know he's like 12 foot taller than everybody else on the roster, but he is just Billy Gunn. Come you, on, man. Do you not love his Carnian, though, here? Yeah. I, I do. I, but You're a Jared guy. I am, I am, you know, but I don't know what that's like really. It's AW, you know. <laughs> I don't appreciate that. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I, I really, yeah. I True. really, really think you should just. Give Swerve the benefit of the doubt. Like, he's had some quality, quality weeks. He feels like a special talent. 
he can beat Billy Gunn yeah. with a bit more commitment to the finish than this man. Especially if it's like they're in a trap now, AEW. Aye. Every heel has to cheat because that's what heels do. Yeah. That's not how it always was when it was actually better. Caught in a trap. Take my guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You pulled that so far back from the brink. Me and Cedric had a split second look of like, oh, Wilbon's finished. What the fuck <laughs> is he doing? <laughs> In the entire week in the office. You heard this song, but we'll do it. So we're gagging it as the lyrics. Have you heard this song? You seen this? You heard about this? We're gag. Gag, 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 gag. Uh. <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. I just thought his finish sucked. The match was like, it was only like, okay oh, as well. He stole like, one. I was like, he was a former tag team champion. Like, are we not getting the rubber match between the two as well? Like, that, this was so non committal that I was well, like, we are getting it. We are getting it, but this wasn't the best way to get there. I it? thought for a split second, when the acclaim comes down to check on Billy Gunn, I was like, they're getting pounced into the crowd here because they were walking down and they were just sort of taking their time. And I was like, oh my God, Kigley's sending them into the, into the Toronto fans. Mm. But that didn't happen. And I just felt, yeah, just a bit disappointed by the finish here. <sighs> Should we do the angle as well? Oh, yeah. Well, do you want to, your thoughts on the match? I thought it was a bit of fun. A bit carny. For yeah. which my expectations weren't remotely high. The crowd was really into it. This is this can be fine. I got so much different eclectic high um tier action elsewhere. I'll take a bit of fun if it's over. I think of course I, got, I will. I think I got a bit of the old family guy. Uh hey, finish. Did you get less bad because of what followed it? Which was the acclaim coming down. They, it's all right, we'll all just do a big scissor. And then Mark Sterling comes out with Tony Nese and his tiny knees, and they've got a document from the good old US of A. Oh, that's not this country. Uh, and now Sterling owns the saying, scissor me in pro wrestling, and all the money from T-shirt sales are going to go to him. And if, if Billy and the acclaimed scissor, he'll sue them so hard, they're going to be stuck in the court system for months, and they'll have to forfeit the titles. But he is willing to work with them. Maybe he can work something out, but for now, scissor me, daddy knees off. Can I just shock you? I did not hate this. I did not hate this at all. You know what I'm a fan of? And it's an established AEW booking device. And I understand that there's a good and bad version of everything, right? I really quite like the idea that they sometimes do. We had it with Chris Jericho and Scorpio Sky, which is very comedic flavored. If you remember the build is a feud. My favorite, probably forgotten at this point, builds was uh Kenny Omega versus Jungle Boy. Just how silly it was that Kenny Omega was playing like this high school bully and basically treating Jungle Boy like um we, we never actually worked out the ages of it. A freshman. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, what's a sophomore? Sophomore. Yeah. What's the youngest one? Fre- freshman. You'd expect because fresh. Freshman. Freshman. <laughs> and it was just like I got a knuckle sandwich for Jungle Boy. The man who's really popping fresh, man. And another knuckle sandwich for Jungle Boy. (laughs) I like these sort of low stakes. Have some entertainment, very light, on the show so that you preserve the high stakes stuff on the same show for variety. And then when the champion does serious business, it really resonates as serious business. I quite like this, you know. I'm not the biggest fan of the Smart Mark Sterling character. But this is good use of them. I will defend it. It's not, I can make recruitment and um, acquisitions and sort of release decisions with a petition. No, it's up with Tony Khan, you stupid arsehole. And <laughs> I think everything about it is stupid for the idea that this can be taken seriously. Mm. He's a lawyer. This is 
in his wheelhouse. This is something he can actually do. Wrestlers can trademark their own things, and he's savvy enough to get there first. Obviously, I don't know how patents work. He doesn't probably have a rightful claim, but you know, I know enough about the world to know that it's not very particular. It's not. It's not very just. So I can buy that he's being the snaky dickhead doing something that he could theoretically do, which isn't getting a talent out of the company, which he absolutely can't do. Yeah. So this doesn't fall in the okay. get swerve out of here thing for me. And ultimately, you claim they're going to have a match with FTR, and it's going to be fantastic, high-stakes stuff. And I think that is going to be elevated by FTR being able to say in about a month's time, or maybe even revolution time, or whenever it actually happens, you've been faffing about. It's fine you do this, but real champions need real belts, and you kind of not taking them seriously and all the rest of it. This is going to be the biggest sesame thing ever at the end of this when they are able to actually go like this again. There. Do you think that's why I just thought of this? It's just fun. Take it like arresting Steve Austin, right? Yeah. And then having him come back. Huge pap. Absolute eternal enduring attitude era facilitator of a huge pap. Taking something away that yeah. the fans like and then from. giving him it back. It's just fun for now. If this was balls deep, we are entering full gear season, I would be annoyed. I don't think we are. Do you think this is why, I just thought of this, why Taz did the whole trademarking the, his gimmick on Twitter thing the other day? You know, he twice says, oh, I've got it trademarked, the uh, survive if I let you whole thing. Oh. Do you think that was related to this? Oh, I don't like, know. It maybe so, like, did legitimize it, so. the idea of it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just thought that. But anyway, what do you make of it, Hamlet? Well... Sidgwick's very strong argument is going to make me seem like a miserable arsehole because I just hated it, man. Like I'm, the I op- can see that. I'm the opposite <laughs> with the, I'm the opposite with the acclaimed. I actually think you need to go serious now rather than go. Like I get that point that like oh you actually almost pull them back a little bit. They got so serious in the run up to winning the titles that you provide a bit of light in order to make them forget what it was that brought them to the dance. You could do a better version of light that you liked. Yeah. Uh, Mark Sterling is a bit, like, I've said this before, like, he comes on screen, it's not his fault, he performs his character well, I just hate the character. Like, Tony Khan has a lot of paperwork in his life, so we think, he thinks we need a lot of paperwork on television, <laughs> and we don't. This is, a, to me, this is adjacent to the recruitment angles, and that, like, yet against petitions, it's all this sort of thing. Like, he does find ways, and I do, I respect that it's in character, so they're doing things that are related to what that character would do, it's just I don't think I particularly like that character. It's the thing that I would enjoy in the zany world of 2.0 that I don't particularly want in AEW. I think there's better ways to do this a type of thing with the acclaimed. I still have an issue with them leaning so hard into the scissoring being the defining characteristics of the acclaimed. I just it isn't. I, you I, watched National Scissoring Day last week. I think that's set dressing for a really nice unifying message. Yes, and I think that was like I was wrong about that. Like I was totally wrong in that. Like this is actually the idea peaking. Don't take the piss with it. And I think this would classify as taking the piss with it. I was ready for the eclipse. I don't want them to get, like, serious. I just want them to be exactly who they were in the run-up to winning the belts, which is credible contenders, which is getting behind Anthony Bones and Max Caster as these two wrestlers. Like, Anthony Bones, no, uh, no sorry, Max Caster's line last week. Yes, it was all about the scissoring, but... There was a bit where Caster said, um, like, my dad won mm. the Super Bowl and I wanted to win something so I could be like my dad. That's why people fell in love with the acclaim. The scissoring is the stuff on top. Like, again, like, you're kind of having feuds over the icing instead of the cake, and that's my big problem with Mark Sterling. Scissors the cake. Scissors the icing. The acclaim to the cake. The scissoring is the icing, and, like, they do love it. They do love it, honestly, but, like, Enzo and Cass needed 
the catchphrases that needed Enzo's introduction because it was a little bit less underneath. Like, there's plenty under the hood when it comes to the acclaim, mm. and I think instead you're just dealing with all sort of other stuff instead. It's fluffy, and if and when the acclaim... Well, my argument is that we'll get there. This is just a nice TV distraction to now, deepen the heft of what follows. So, like... But Otherwise, you get Triple H booking. But where are we going, right? The acclaimed fight, Mark, like Tony Nese and somebody... Josh Woods or someone. And yeah. win it back... Why would Mark Sterling put it up as a stake yeah. in a match in the first place? Also, exactly. This is a idiot. better deal. He should have this for the rest of his life. Those t-shirts are going to make money. In but this is my other thing is why would you stop people scissoring? Out. Don't stop people scissoring because if people scissor, they go, that's cool. I want to buy a t-shirt for that. Yeah. So that the, the it's, a, it's, a, it's a logical. He's like, you should be wanting them to scissor and be like, great. That's an extra 20 quid for me. That's another Spotify hit, a few more pennies in my residuals at the end of the month. Like, uh, 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 you can't do it. Why would you stop them? Like, I think it's like, it's such a... I think, we've, I think we've learned, I think we've learned that litigation... <laughs> And suing people will net you vastly more sums of money <laughs> than professional wrestling merchandise. Otherwise, why would what's happening be happening? Yeah. Yeah. So lean in as in a in a silly, fluffy tag team angle or avoid it completely? I'm just saying it makes sense from the perspective of the smart Mark Sterling character to go, mm. ah, don't you dare. I will sue you. Yeah. You can get a lot of money that way, probably more than can be made from professional wrestling. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, this is, I think this is a good example of one of these things. Well, that's look at how much of a star CM like. Punk was in WWE, mm-hmm. right? And then look at how much he was, like, he had to devastate an entire friendship because the threat of losing all of that money yeah. was just monumental to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, what came next was absolutely... Very serious conversation for what ultimately is stupid. <laughs> it's really yes. stupid. This is the thing, isn't it? Yeah. What came next was sensational. Uh, Marvez is backstage with MJF and talks to him about uh, what was going on with we- you and Wheeler Uter and Regal and all that stuff last week. And it comes Stokely Hathaway and MJF's like, what are you doing? You can do that with anyone else. Don't do it to me, right? You've done this already. You've messed up twice now. This is strike two. You don't take me your Colton Banks wardrobe out of my <laughs> shot. It'll be strike three. I'll fire your ass. Um, MJF says about Regal, in his world, uh, Regal is about as villainous as Mary Poppins. Um, they've not; they've both got a dark past. He's not afraid to tell Regal the story. And as for you, uh, was he going to shake his hand? He doesn't even know, to be honest. Um, he has come to terms with the fact that at a young age, he had to learn the hard way that nice guys finish last. Um, no one has a clue what it's like to be MJF. Um, he had no choice but to be the bad guy. He's broken his hands many times, punching his own reflection. So if you don't like him, tough, because he doesn't like himself either. But that's what it takes to become the champion of the world. And he will become champion because he's the man with the plan, the man with the chip, the man who is a generational talent. Oh, my God. This was an unbelievable oh promo. An absolutely unbelievable promo. I'll do the end bit first because it kind of figures into something later on. But Man with the Plan, Man with the Chip, all that sort of stuff, has done so much to legitimise what was becoming too much of a meme. Like, it is a bit silly, but it is a title shot. And all this debate about cashing in, or is he going to, like, set his, like, the deadline for the pay-per-view or whatever. The important thing is, he's it's double super serious to him and that's all that matters like just him saying that out loud was so like helpful for that story as well but the rest of this he's a generational talent because everything that matters in his life everything in his life matters for this character everything that's ever happened to MJF the way that he's able 
Like, he is a spoilt little rich kid, and he is spinning the few difficult events in his life into gold when he's in the... Like, we saw it with CM Punk and the, the super fan that was let down by his hero. Like we all have things like that happen in life, but we get over them. Not MJF. It turns him into a bigger psychopath. I want to shout out to Andrew Thompson from Post Wrestling, who identified that there was a story that kind of bubbled under a little bit when William Regal signed for AEW, that um, MJF had emailed him a bunch of footage, uh, like some tape or something like that. Oh, will you have a look? Will you have a look? When he was... Like trying employed by WWE. Yeah, when he was like sort of in talent, you know, scouting and all that kind of thing. And he just got a bit of a curt reply back. And Regal was asked about this, but it was all in a very genteel setting. And he said, I'd, I don't remember it, but I, I might have been a bit like sort of off with him, but I just didn't want to baby him. So in Regal's mind, that's, and that was a shoot. So there's Regal sort of suggesting that, um, you know, he justified what he said. MJF, just like the punk stuff, has held on to this and now thinks it's 10 times worse than some of the awful things he's done to other people. A brilliant character trait and yet again a reason why he belongs with the elite in this idea that it's not just the storyline you're working on, it's everything you've ever done. That's the, why Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are praised. That praise should be isolated for MJF too. And by the way, John Moxley and the Hangman Page later on. It all counts and it always will. Past, present and future, they're the best characters for that reason. Um, the bit in here where he was talking about uh, looking in the mirror. Oh, my God. So he's stared at CM Punk telling him, I'm trying to, I'll look in the mirror every day and I'm trying to be a nice guy. MJF has learned from that. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to look in the mirror. And, try. I'll try. Try. I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to accept being the bad guy, which ironically will be so awesome as fuel when the babyface turn eventually comes as well, because that's far more real than what turned out to be the phony faker CM Punk unable to be the good guy. So that works in kayfabe and reality as well. This was absolutely masterful stuff. MJF is even better than all the praise you can lavish upon him. He's thinking in years with this gimmick, which is how you should. This um, is why AEW remains the most vital and crucial. I loved Triple H's WWE, but they just don't think on levels as MJF is currently thinking yeah. on with this character. I had a few problems with uh, Moxley and Page a few weeks ago as a Dynamite TV match because the result was predictable. They earned the 1% of doubt for me with their promo later on, but that was helped by how good this MJF promo was too. I can't add much more to this specific segment, but just along the lines of how deeply MJF thinks about this, and it's basically a bit of a, uh, a sale for my upcoming article, um, 10 wrestlers who busted out moves you'd never expect, right? MJF, if you pay attention to everything he says, you will be immensely rewarded in a, like a granular detail that just so few other wrestlers, with the exception of a punk, a mega, are really, really great at doing. Like Jericho as well, I'd probably put in that conversation. Um, if you listen to any of his press interviews, he will say something like, ah, New Japan Wrestling, terrible, hate it. They're all just morons who punch each other in the face and drop each other on the heads, and they just don't get the point of it. I think it's absolute trash. Um, I think that's just obviously the character speaking, but, you know, it's the character at this point that's so convincing that maybe there is a bit of a shoot element to it. And he said, oh, I like the Great O'Conn. Great line, because <laughs> Great O'Conn is like the one guy they've kind of given this, like... U.S. wrestling adjacent gimmick to a new Japan of late. Apart from uh, Wato, is it? Yeah, Master Wato. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he sucks. And he kind of sucks. Um, I like I like Okan, but the rest of it is just, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And in the first match with Punk in Chicago, he busts out Shingo Takagi's Made in Japan. <laughs> like the name of the move and the contrast, because he had to put over... Oh, fuck, I'm... I'm I can't beat this guy. I can't beat my hero. It's killing me. I'm going to have to do something 
unthinkable, even to myself, and do one of these stupid Japanese wrestling moves because I know they kind of hurt. <laughs> He's great. He's absolutely a genius at this. Mm. And just, you know, nice vindication for me personally. I've always known he's a, he's a good guy, deep down, but that's because I'm his best friend. We, like, I want to keep this separate from just praising MJF to the hilt because this was absolutely fantastic. It's unacceptable crap to figure in having a go at the tropes and then doing the tropes. Like, MJF's there. Yes. Oh, we know, it's the interruption there. Da, da, da. Like, don't do them. Don't do them. Like, it's Tony Khan saying, tighten up and then not tighten up. Like, stop acknowledging the faults and not fixing them. Mm. We've got a solution. Coming up. On questions you most want answered. Ooh, remind me of that, because I'll definitely forget to ask the question otherwise. Uh, somebody else already has, so just like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was hey, immediately hey, followed hey, hey, hey. by uh, by the Moxley um, uh, Hangman Page promo, which was just great. Tony Schiavone brings uh, Moxley out, of course. He says, it's good to be uh, in Toronto after three years. Uh, he says, most of the time I've been champion. Um, you know, um, people think that they all want what he's got, but they haven't walked a mile in his shoes. Uh, he said, being a champ isn't easy. It's not all fun and games. You've got a target on your back. Everyone wants something from you. From you. Everyone wants to see you fail. People crumble under the pressure and self-destruct. Some uh, are faster than others. Um, the uh, world champion doesn't have the luxury of being anxious, of fear, of doubt. It's a dirty job being champion. you got to be ruthless, but he loves this. Uh, and that brings him to Hangman Page, and that... Uh, brings out Hangman Page, who wants to sit here, whatever John has got to say, right to his face. But then again, Hangman Page continues, you did that last week, right? You know, you, you said you respect me as a person in the ring, and uh, and I, I would be lying if I didn't tell you that this meant the world to me. I've watched you for the past three years. I've come to respect you inside the ring and out. You're a hell of a champion, a father, a husband. Um, and there's been times when I've looked at you, John Moxley, and so, seen the, champ, the kind of man that I want to be. Uh, at this point, I'm think uh, this I think it was this point it might have been earlier, but anyway, they light up MJF clutching his uh, his um, chip in the crowd, clutching the chip, and uh, yeah, kind of needlessly took away from this segment a little bit um, because everyone's concentrating on MJF, and you're like, no, 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 just let's focus on these two for now. And now he's the you know Spectre at the feast or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, uh, Page continues. He says, uh, "Listen, uh, you want to call me a kid? Am I a kid to you?" And Moxie says, "Yeah, that's exactly." Uh, what I think about you. He says, you know, you should take the shot next week if you get it, but you ain't got the guts to pull the trigger. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, he didn't say it quite like that, but anyway. Uh, Paige says, uh, maybe I'm not the same guy I was last year. I hesitated back in May, but I won't next week. Uh, you know, things have changed for him. He talked about old friends disappearing. Can't have a hand in that, but still. Um, for all that he did, he is left with nothing. He's not the same. He's angry. He's frustrated. He can't sleep at night. He's depressed. The meds ain't working. Um, but he's still here because he's a man. He's 31. He's a former champion. He's watched family be lowered into the ground. He's brought new life into this world. He's a husband, a father. He's been beaten over and over, and he keeps coming back, and he's a man, damn it. In amongst all this, he's punching himself literally in the face. Like, kind of hard way in himself, yeah. let's be honest. Uh, MJF's just popping popcorn at this point and just sort of going, yeah, yeah, go on, kill each other. Um, Paige says, uh, I know what I'm going to do next week. I don't care if your sister's there, if your mom's in the crowd, I will beat you within an inch of your life uh, and take back what should have never slipped away. Uh, look at me now. I've got nothing but my shot and my word. On Tuesday, I take my shot, and tonight I give you my word. I will be the next AEW World Champion, uh, and I came to tell you this to your face, John Moxley, face-to-face, man-to-man. And he drops the mic. He barges past John, who just sort of smirks as that happens, and uh, he leaves 
with a big, big old bruise developing seemingly on his head. Yeah, he wanted to open himself up the hard way and rub it on his shirt. Didn't happen. Yeah. That was one flaw, and the other flaw was again, it's so patronizing this MGF and the thing. I know they've played with it with the wheel of you to brawl, and they might do it again, but ultimately, MGF being around people and oh, it's MGF. I was so delighted with the online reaction to this promo. It's kind of over now because you're going to get booed in Cincinnati next week anyway. But I was so happy with the online reaction to this promo because I feel like no one watching on television was like, oh, we want to see more of MGF. Yeah. Because in that context, I, I know for a fact he's going to have a title match. This has been repeatedly established <laughs> since All Out on television every single week. For Christ's sake... Listen, you're the listening company. Everyone's taking the piss out of this um, Skybox stuff and the constant cutaways to MJF. Like, put your ear back on the ground, guys, because... Does Tony Khan think it's an artistic thing? Like, I uh, don't know what MJF this is. MJF is uh, above all of the, the you know, <coughs> the kind of like the real overlord of all this I'd like thing, to think that? like that's the intention. But ultimately, at this point, it just feels incredibly patronizing to watch. And I, I just want to get my... Blood of my cock, will you hang man page? Because he's been, he's, this is his best promo. And I've, yeah. This is one of the best promos you hear all oh, year. And if you think about the ground that covers, MGF's work, Punk's work, um, Moxley's work, Jericho's work, Kingston's work, Sami Zayn's work, some of Roman's work in the build of WrestleMania. It's been a phenomenal year for promos. And this is Page's goddamn moment. And he needed this so much. Mm. He needed it. Is a person, let alone a performer, and the constant cutaways to MGF just encouraged the crowd to chant, oh, well, there's MGF. It's, it was shocking. It was really shocking. I, it, it was just insulting. I know at this point yeah. that he's going to have a title match at some point. Just drop that. Please, please. This is, I, I, strap him up. Strap <laughs> Hangman Page up. That was my thinking. I wanted Daniel, this is the problem. You know, Ariel Helwani, the problem with AEW is that it's too good. If there was one flaw, to the Grand Slam main event, it was, don't either one of these to lose. I'd have them both as champions. Yeah. At the same time, you're thinking, yeah, I know I've seen his face too much for the preceding 20 minutes, but I want MGF to be champion as well. <laughs> now I want Hangman Page to be champion. You don't have this problem, and it is a problem. You've got too many other guys who you kind of book too well. You do, you do. Yeah. Hangman Page, I want him to be the champion after that promo. The promo was too good. And that's not me being fickle. That's me just being delighted by so many characters in this promotion, which when it isn't doing its stupid tropes... <laughs> This was the magic I was talking about. Yeah, Andy was Andy was asking me about this on the news today about like should would it be is the right booking now? Literally, Hangman Page wins and then immediately gets cashed in on and loses. Like you know, like that's how good booking, this promo like was. Yeah. That's legitimately how good this promo if was. If you'd have asked me twenty four hours ago, I'd be like, "Don't be stupid." I was I've been off the Hangman Page train for mm. quite some time now. I've kind of gone, uh, I'm not feeling it for like even when he was world champion. I was there was you know aside from the obviously sensational matches with Danielson and the like, that's been a bit like. Eh. This, I was like, there such he a is, good chaser. there he is, there he is, there's Hangman Page. He's such a good chaser. What I loved about this promo is that the old wrestling maxim is that the most believable characters are themselves with the volume turned up, or they play a really cartoonish role for which they are just suited, and it just clicks like Callaway and The Undertaker. That just worked, because he had no panther at all. <laughs> <laughs> Took himself very seriously, yeah. and all right, okay, well, that absolutely works. Hangman Page, this is the... How much I love it. This is AEW operating in an absolute peak mode. Is the subtext of this promo was that he was cutting it to CM Punk. But they've made this story 
where Mox is almost a punk surrogate, but it never feels like you think, oh, he's just being punk, or, oh, he's being a bit like punk, and that's a dickhead, because it's Moxley, mm-hmm. and he's a genius at this, and he's just such a great baby face. Like, punk and hangman didn't do anywhere near enough of a job for an all-babyface feud like this. I thought the idea ultimately wasn't executed very well, but Punk and Moxley didn't do anywhere near as good a babyface versus babyface story like this because CM Punk just was too much of an arsehole at the end of the goddamn day. This is, I can't remember, a all-babyface match, which are so tricky to book, that I'm invested in just as much as this. It is so incredible. I'm thinking you've wasted money here, lads. You have wasted money for potentially the second successive pay-per-view cycle because this is just too good. This is too good for free TV. And yes, I'm a monstrous hypocrite. I've been campaigning for matches like this on free TV, like real big ones with stakes. Mm. Getting it, and I'm thinking, ah, pay for it. It's too good. It's too good. (laughs) This was so nice for Hangman Page because he was cutting the response that he couldn't cut against CM Punk to John Moxley within the parameters of a storyline that also works in and of itself. This was Hangman Page getting his agency back. The delivery was fantastic. And those words obviously mean so much to them. You know when you come up with an absolutely amazing bit of patter in your head and you think, oh, that would have been great if I'd thought of it the day before when the conversation was (laughs) happening. Or like that kind of thing. Page has been probably, I could speak for another adult, but if he was anything like me, and that situation happened to me, I would be playing the scenario out of my mm-hmm. head about how I could respond if things were a bit different and agonizing over the fact that I couldn't. The brilliance of the booking of this program is that I think all human beings are like that. And if, CM, and if Hangman Page is in fact like that, he's been able, in the parameters of a storyline, to say it, and the belief, the conviction, the emotion... The fury, just the goodness of it all, blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. Is this the babyface promo of the year? I'm not sure because recency bias is a good thing because it means you're enjoying things, but also it can like sort of undermine other really good stuff that mm-hmm. just had the temerity of happening like three months ago or a month ago in Mox's case. Mm-hmm. It's just affected me so much. Yeah, Moxley's cut so many of them. Um, it's like they almost like blend into one, don't they? Yeah. Like, yeah. The the blending of kayfabe and reality was so important for the success of this promo. And again, if not for the way they insisted on using MJF, like this would have absolutely been like. Well, I was going to use an American sports reference, but like a Canadian one for ice hockey, this would have been a home run or a slam dunk. Um, <laughs> it was, I, I call it when it's a good one. What in ice hockey? Uh, what's goal. A, like <laughs> go ahead, goal. God, it's a hockey fight. I, Hockey, innit? Hockey is <laughs> never really translated. You know what my problem with hockey is? Uh-huh. People like the witty banter, so just you yeah. can have your point in a second. The ice? I can never... Where's the puck? Yeah. yeah. Where's the puck? How do you train yourself? So I was surprised it's not Tony Khan's favourite sport, because his ability to do these weird casino battle royals, I can watch four people at once. I would like a version of I can watch four shines at once. Ooh. We should play that, yeah. We should play, yeah. I used to play the games because you can do the fights. Yeah. How, when you watch it on telly, particularly pre-HD, how do you follow the puck? Yeah. I'd like to see one in real life because it looks really aggressive. I'm scared (laughs) of pucks. I'm scared of pucks and I'm scared of a... Called corkers. 
Cork has. Or Corky, the ball, cricket ball. In cricket. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I wanted to throw one on my mate's face. It's like, uh, yeah. It was like, it was a uh, gentle underarm. Catch. And he went. And it just split his leg. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah. so why don't bowlers in cricket wear helmets? What if it just comes straight back and just knocks you, implodes your face? And then, I've, I've, yeah, you're bowling a beautifully constructed bit of brick. I would wear, <laughs> I'd wear that um, Finn Balor mask, but made of metal <laughs> if I was a bowler. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Talk about wrestling. Uh, oh, yeah. Hang on, page. He was fantastic. Yeah. I needed, desperately needed 1% of doubt, and I got so much more from yeah. that somehow for this television main event. Mm. I haven't got a lot to add to Cedric's praise of Page in particular here. Um, other than to say that the decision to, yes, there was a lot of um, subtext as relates to CM Punk, and I think Moxley got a bit of that in as well. I love the idea that Moxley, like in the same breath, said like being the champion is a dirty job having just thrown out the word anxious. So he does want to get under Hangman Page's skin, and he got under his skin and out yeah. he came. To, like, that was, the, that was the moment for Page that he had to come out and say his piece. But the decision to, uh, like, use the last year of Hangman Page's life really struck a chord with me, because this is the most I felt for him since 12 months yeah. ago. Like, that felt quite real. I think this spoke to a lot of people's criticisms that from the moment he won that belt, felt a little bit like, creatively, everybody lost interest in him. I don't mean fans. Fans were rooting for more for Page, and instead, as a company, it was like, job done, star created. Well, is it? You know, there was, like, calls for Brian to beat him in the title match. I was buzzing when Punk got the belt because it just felt like, try again with Page another time. Here's that other time. The exact same thing crossed my mind that you said about the, well, does the cash-in come at Hangman Page's expense? Have we seen this vindication? And from a television match that felt, why now? Why this Page This two-week build has been absolute seven-star. Yeah. Why now, when this is so obvious that Moxley's going to win, I've now manifested the finish that Page wins just to take the belt off him, and that might not even occur. Moxley might just beat him, and this might be yet more of Page on the chase, Page more of having to go and find himself. He's just as big a loser as his Dark Order mates. That whole thing, like, you can play with that too. But to put in your mind everything that has happened to this character in the last 12 months while he is... Like, just exposing himself to John Moxley emotionally, I thought was really inspired because, of course, it puts all these little flashpoints in your head. It was a, This was a WWE video package that you had to imagine yeah. as Hangman Page was talking. I just, this was so goddamn impressive. And Moxley laying the floor for him like that was just as cool as well. Um, I cannot wait for this. They might, AW, to their immense credit might have stumbled upon something that will chip away at NXT's audience. I don't point. know how they've done it. I could talk about this all day. Uh, <laughs> absolute work of genius this two-week build was. Ring of Honor world title match next. Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson. Uh, Brian Danielson, very res- disrespectful for the uh, handshake at the start of this match. <laughs> Start punching Jericho instead. Uh, slingshots Jericho to the outside, takes him out with a dive through the ropes. Um, Jericho comes back, though. Um and uh, hit nine punches and then hit a Hurricane Rana as Danielson was in the ropes. Danielson regains control going for the ribs. Roundhouse kick to the head gets him a near fall. Jericho makes his comeback after the commercial break with a DDT. Uh, Danielson gets sent outside and hit with a springboard crossbody. Jericho went to the top but got caught off with an avalanche butterfly suplex into the bell lock that was nice. Um, Danielson tries to reposition, but Jericho uses that to counter into the walls of Jericho to a huge peb. Um... Danielson gets a Wolves Jericho and crowd like, don't like that. Um, Jericho escapes, small package, uh, but then eats a roundhouse kick from Danielson for another near fall. Goes to the Lion Salt, that misses. Danielson hits a diving knee off the top twice, but as he goes for it a third time, Jericho catches him with a code breaker. Uh, Danielson backflips out of the corner, and then there's the ref bump to Paul Turner. Uh, Danielson gets bumped into him. 
And uh, Jericho and Danielson just sort of collide. There's a double down in the ring. Daddy Magic slides the ring on a title into Jericho, who just waits a minute. Daniel Garcia finally comes down to the ring, rips the title away from Jericho. Jericho gets pushed as he's j- jacking there with with uh, with uh, Garcia. Turns around into Busaiku knee from Danielson, who suddenly is betrayed by Daniel Garcia. He clobbers him with the Ring of Honor title. Um, Angelo, uh, Cool Hand Ange, Angelo Parker, chucks the referee into the ring. Jericho makes the cover while simultaneously kicking the belt out of the ring, which was a lovely touch. One, two, three. Chris Jericho retains the Ring of Honor world title. Garcia hands it to him. Uh, he cheers it with the pure title and uh, outcome... Um, well, not all of the Blackpool Combat Club. You, uh, uh, Claudio, and Regal for a stare down with Garcia. He has he's picked his side, Hamlet. Yeah, he has. Um, I thought I thought this match was only all right, but for the first time in this series, where like I think quite a few like myself, Cedric at points critical of the Danielson Jericho chemistry. I'm not sure this was entirely all their fault. Um, Ultimately, like you couldn't. The second have, match was fantastic. The second match was really, really strong, and I don't want to be the uh, Toronto was bizarre world because of course Jericho's a Canadian. There is a chance he's going to get cheated, and Christ, a fat, unathletic, idiot podcaster in the northeast, like teaching like Jericho and Brian, Brian Danderson how to suck eggs. Calling it in the ring is maybe not for them because they did feel like there was a dynamic shift here that they played into as a result of the crowd and. It didn't, where that clashed was with the Blackpool Combat Club uh, Jericho Appreciation Society story, this sports entertainment versus pro wrestler thing. If this was any other story, Danielson's an awesome situational heel, as we saw with Hangman Page. Jericho can be a great situational babyface, but this is not the story for that because Jericho's doing the other show, he's doing the cheating stuff. It's the wrong angle for that, so like... It didn't. It, the two things just collided in a way that made the the match uglier. As a result, the work was good. Of course, it was good. It's Danielson and Chris Jericho. But emotionally, I was constantly detached by these two these waves crashing into each other. The finish was fine. Like they had foreshadowed this Garcia turn. So cool, they've delivered it. I think we've talked about how there's lots of reasons peppered in as to why Garcia was never going to side with Danielson all along, and maybe that can still come down the line. It just didn't. This whole program just hasn't hit for me, and I think a little bit of it is maybe that what they were doing here was trying to squeeze more out of Blackpool Combat Club and Jericho Appreciation Society and using two elite-tier wrestlers to get there, and they just they just couldn't do it. Like, the story is dead, and I don't want to pin all that on the shoulders of Jericho and Danielson who were trying to have great wrestling matches. I didn't get the vibe of the all-out match here whatsoever. I thought it was very, 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 very well worked. Um, more angle-based than the blow away that they were trying to do um, for the Grand Slam Tournament of Champions. But yeah, ultimately, in the year that Triple H has all but stopped saying sports entertainment in his guise as the leader of WWE, which was a development, a shocking one, that followed the inception of this sprawling philosophical war, it all just feels like a bit of a waste of time on a macro level for me. It was the night after Revolution where the Jericho Appreciation Society of Sports Entertainers formed. So that's what, March? Mm, yeah. March, April, May, June, July, August, September. We're eight months into this now, and it was kind of irrelevant, what, four months ago at this point? Ocho months into it. Yeah. And we've seen the best of it. Yeah. Anarchy in the Arena was the absolute best of this. Blood and Guts felt like a diminished return. The focus was a little bit lost when it was never about Kingston, and I think a lot of people wanted it to be about Kingston. Who knows how it would have went had CM Punk not chased the pop. 
um, in the audience because Mox was never meant to be the title holder. This yeah. might have been wrapped up, but then they've had the idea to, right, we need to do something with ROH. This ROH stuff kind of sucks. Right, well, we can siphon the JAS BCC stuff into the ROH. I'm, I'm done. I'm absolutely done with it. Um, and yet, I loved everything Chris Jericho was doing. Mm. I th- thought the match was very, very good. And it's Danielson. So it's kind of a love-hate relationship with it. But again, just you see a level of detail in this promotion that it's one thing for Michael Cole to go, I haven't got a pair of papers, so imagine this is notes. Wrestle and romance or progress. <laughs> Pro wrestling gorilla. I love these guys in Evolve. <laughs> Stardom for Brian Danielson. Do Jushin Liger cry? <laughs> Knowing that at that stage of his career, Chris Jericho was super Liger. Like having a dump with his trousers on in the Tokyo Dome was majestic, deep cut thought. Uh, I like the story of the match. My favorite spot of it was when Chris Jericho does like um, a mid-air code breaker reverse and you think, that's a really cool idea for a spot. Kind of botched the timing of it and it's very hard to do. But it got a pop and it works. Nailed it. It absolutely yeah. nailed it. It was so fantastically done. Um, I don't have a problem with these situational geographic reactions. Um, even if they do betray what they're doing in the ring, it doesn't bother me at all. I just think the thing, I think they booked them because noise, spectacle. <laughs> it's great. It's absorbing. It's compelling. I quite the like them typically because it feels special and different. Yeah. I just think because of the sports entertainment wrestling thing. Yeah. I the guess. wrong combo for it. I, uh, I will let the finish play out because I did not know why Daniel Garcia joined the JAS, as did nobody else. And then they give you the perfect reason. So maybe there's a perfect reason for the turn. I know there's kind of been some, but I will be looking for a really nice yeah, explanatory promo rather than, oh, my favorite wrestler in the world interrupted me when I was trying to talk. I don't think that's enough. Yeah. I don't think that's enough. Was the face he was like, I interrupt him every single time that he tries <laughs> to talk. We're still good mates. Was the very good he, friends, in fact. Was he we are very good <laughs> friends, aren't we? Projecting like... Old friends now, if you think about it. Conflict? Or was he being serious? Like, what was that about? Like, I was watching Daniel Garcia, so they've got me still on the hook. Oh, he tweeted about this? Yeah, he tweeted about this. Oh, I haven't seen that. He said, no, I meant it. So okay. I don't know what he was doing. All right, lol, I meant it or something. So it's about, about, lol. Obviously, you've thought of this. I independently thought of this. The person who tweeted it thought of this, and he's quote tweeted. No, I meant to do that. Uh, so it was mm. a bad acting performance, which is strange because he's been good of late, yeah. very good of late. Uh, right, then we're backstage again with Renee Packer and the vicious Vicky, uh, Nyla Rose, Marina Shavir, <laughs> and Vicky Guerrero. Uh, Renee refuses to call Nyla Rose the TBS champion, and Nyla's like. Aren't I, though? Because I've got the belt around my waist. One of the few people who can pull this sort of thing off, Nyla Rose. Um, she says, look, I know you're new around here, Renee, but uh, possessions in night is nine-tenths of the law. And I am the law. Judge Dredd. Uh, uh, and then in comes that. <laughs> Did she say, like, a movie about a judge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in comes Anna Jay and says, well, if you walk around with the title, how about I fight you for the title? Uh, and that's going to happen on Friday. <laughs> Triple H would be impressed by this uh, who's the heel and who's the baby face. <laughs> Murky Waters here. Look, not the best material. Nyla Rose transcends it because she's very funny. Yeah. An absolute popper. Like, really well delivered, wasn't it? I've said this before in an article, I think. Like, Jim Ross asks, like, wrestlers, 
in the men's division to maximise the minutes, the women have got to steal seconds. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that's what Nyla Rose does when she's on camera. Like, this is a stolen belt storyline in an impromptu interview interruption match. And it's like, she's class. Yeah. I think I wanted to be the one to end Jade Cargill's streak and then delay this match because that's her actual progression. Uh, right, we're in the women's section now, of course. That means it's time for the uh, obligatory single women's match on AEW Dynamite. And it was Tony Storm interim AEW Women's World Champion and Hikaru Shida versus Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker. Uh, Jamie Hayter and, uh, is obviously hugely supported by uh, by the uh, the Canadian audience because of it's Jamie Hayter. Um, fast opening sequence, Shida... Uh, with Sheeta and Storm makes a quick tag in, starts beating her down. Baker stops Storm from going for sweet sheet music. Uh, that allows Hater to take out Tony Storm with a running boot. Uh, Sheeta runs wild after the break, flattens Baker with a jumping knee and corner punches. Hater tries to break it up. She gets suplexed from the apron into the <laughs> ring by Sheeta. Uh, Baker gets suplexed onto Hater. Sheeta hits a meteora off the middle ropes for a two count, which looked great. Uh, Baker blocks the katana. Hater, Hater lays out Sheeta with a backbreaker. Sheeta eventually gets back in it, but it's a double super king and a curb stomp for a great near fall from Baker. Uh, Storm hits a corn- corner tornado DDT and Storm Zero and Baker, but they do the spot where Hater tackles Storm onto, I think it was Sheeta was making the cover. Hater gets sent outside. Storm hits another tornado DDT. Baker goes for it and gets locked jaw on Sheeta, but she counters that with a roll-up for a two-count. Sheeta hits a spinning falcon arrow on Baker. They both trade pin attempts. Sheeta gets the high stack, though, and gets the flash pinfall victory. <coughs> Love the bones of this. This was sure not tell all the way in terms of AEW addressing its problems. A total contrast to the ref stuff and the interruption stuff. Um, a really great, like, hard-hitting, well-worked match of which we get every time there's more than two women out there that kind of drag the crowd kicking and screaming into it. You know, we'll get onto the spot where the speech is on the show. But the crowd are up for everything, so they're definitely up for this. Um, I was so pleased to see, uh, like, what we got as a finish because it felt like it was trending towards Hikaru Shida beating Britt Baker. And they just... Gave you it. Britt Baker is a massive star, and as a result, every now and then, massive stars can take losses, and that's going to be just fine. Sorry. It's okay. It's not every now and then. It's all the time. But because she's such a massive star, it feels like every now and then. Well, yeah. Because she never feels like less of a star when she comes out. Exactly, yeah. And and by the way, as well, like, just a genius idea to pair them two back together because it was so great to see their chemistry back in action. And in, like, the finish was centred around that Sheeta and Baker have got this real cool chemistry together. And it feels mm. like there's loads of... Whatever there is of AEW women's wrestling history, a lot of it is, like, boiled down to what them two did in the last few minutes. It didn't marginalise Jamie Hayter, who got that awesome pop when she came out just for not being involved in the finish. It set up a match I want to watch between Hikaru Shida and Tony Storm, who continues to, like, very quietly become, like, one of the best AEW Women's Champions ever, even though it's only the interim title. Yeah. Like, I think she's doing great work with this belt. This division has had a better week than WWE's, in my opinion, right, for the one segment that it got, like, the one match that it got. Uh, they're just showing me a bunch of stuff I want to watch. Like, no Soraya on the show this week, but I'm sure she'll feature next week. And, like, ultimately, like, that program wasn't abandoned just for the sake of setting up another title match. I was, like, bang into this. And, again, I want to see... Like, you don't just want to give them a pass, but I want to see potential and seed sprouting, and I felt like I got a lot here. My only issue at this point, right, is part of the appeal of doing tags and trios matches is that they show you glimpses of matches within the match that you want to see. And we, I haven't seen the actual match happen yet from some of those. Mm. Like, um, in the four-way at Grand Slam, Ember Moon and Tony Storm literally was... Oh, my God. Mm, they should have a singles match if it was that good, and it was. Um, 
there's been a few instances of that in these matches where it's like, oh, you're just doing more. I thought they meant to like tease matches and actually build. All right, I actually want to see that because you don't care about the booking, but the wrestlers are so good. So I'm getting a little bit unconvinced that they'll really carry this forward. But the action here was genuinely great at times. Um, the finishing sequence was, I was definitely in two minds. I was like, that should be the finish, that should be the finish. I don't want to see the finish, I want to see more of this. So I was genuinely on the hook for it. I It's very much a tiresome trope of Tony Storm teams with someone, wins a match alongside them and says, you know, you've earned my respect and gotten a title shot. Where are the rankings? We've been Sheena Storm for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's very, it's, it feels like the weird thing that Tony Khan has Tony Storm do. Um, She's Chad Gable. Yeah, give her a partner, and then like they'll get more over as a result, and we'll see what we do when they split. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that's how you earn my respect and get a title shot. So it's yeah, it's a bit tropey at this point, but the action was stellar. And look, if there was ever a point where they can finally do two bloody women's matches, and it was like two years ago, uh, Jamie Hayter can be the one outside mm-hmm. of the Tony Storm or the Baker one because like people love her. Mm, absolutely. Uh, one last thing to do before we get to the main event, then. And uh, what game is that, uh, Michael? Uh, the game is, well, this is ladies night, and I'm thinking no word and read. So basically, as it happened now, as it happens then, now, forever, there's always, 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 always a obligatory one women's match on Dynamite, and it's 99 times out of 100 at the same time of the show, the second to last match. The idea is to try and get the first time you hear the first female athlete's entrance theme to the hour, minute, and second, so that we can say, hang on, it's in a 10-second range, guys. Maybe you should be less predictable in talking <laughs> with the booker. So, who won this week? Uh, well, what are the times we said? Well, wait there. <laughs> <laughs> Shout, as always, to Adam Blair, at Adam Wilton 4, who uh, always keeps the uh, admin on this. It's going to be off for a few weeks, so there is a position open if people want to step up. It doesn't pay. Step up. Uh, not working, no, no working internet connection to watch AEW and do the admin for the next three weeks. Look, so. at, look at you being a wrestling promoter. You're gonna show up to work, otherwise someone's gonna take your spot. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, you know, we could just not do it next week if you don't want. We don't have to do it next week. To be honest, you're not even getting a hot dog out of this. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not here, so I'm annoyed that you're not gonna yeah. rack up scores whilst I'm away. Nor a handshake. Um, Michael Hamflet, did he win? He had 60 minutes. He did not win. I hate the fact that he threw it because next I didn't really catch. Sunday scaries. I'm not playing anymore. Eh. He hates I'm not a competitive person. I'm not playing anymore. I used to hate that when I was a kid, and I hate it even more now. Um, Adam Wilborn. Adam Wilborn. One hour, 18 minutes, 20 seconds. Ooh, it's good, but it's not right. Michael Sidgwick. One hour, 19 minutes. And 15 minutes. He's stuck, mate. Yeah. Still one hour, 30 minutes and two seconds. Sidgwick wins. He takes That's the score. like it. Oof. I was thinking at one point, because I saw on my phone before, because I, I don't like... Cause it's, uh, uh, I saw Adam Blair tweeted you, unfortunately. And I was like, oh, my God, because it was getting later and later. And I was like, are they going to drop the women's match? And I was like, that is literally the end of everything <laughs> at that point. Because I just saw the unfortunate tweet. But, yeah, one hour, 30, and two seconds. Sidgwick takes his score to five correct guesses. Uh, Michael Hamlet is still on three and myself on seven. Doesn't care. All to play for next week. Yeah, I'm is. not. Is, is Andy going to step or is it just going to be a head-to-head? It's going to be a head-to-head. Yeah, head-to-head. <laughs> is he boy, Andy Murray? <laughs> Maybe stacks. Or no, stacks on holiday as well, actually. Uh, right, uh, main event time. All-Atlantic title pack defending against Orange Cassidy, uh, who doesn't mess about. Orange Cassidy starts the match going for an orange punch, uh, but gets little with kicks by pack. 
turned inside out, and Pack even puts his hands in his pockets as he's down on his knees and does the little kicks. Looks like he's going to set up to fake a little kick, and they kick his bloody head off. Uh, but Pack takes too long. Cassidy kips up, drop kick. Uh, Pack rolls outside uh, and caught Cassidy as he's going for a dive. Though Falcon arrows him on the outside, which looked ooh, rough. Um, Pack takes control as we go to a break. Um, drags Cassidy up the ramp and hits a bloody tombstone. Uh, and then Pack brings Bryce Remsburg back into the ring to try and get a count-out victory. Don't piss on my head and tell me it's raining. Come on. Uh, aside from that, though, Cassidy rolls down at the <laughs> ramp. I just thought, like, oh, don't tease a fucking count-out. You've been out there for about 10 minutes, and you're not doing a count-out in the main event. It was an incredible count-out tease. It was an incredible count-out tease. I wasn't buying it for a second. Arms folded. Tighten up. Yeah, <laughs> but Cass- I did like the Cassidy rolling down the ramp spot, obviously. Gets in just before the 10, uh, but he rolls straight into the Brutalizer, uh, manages to get on the foot uh, fo- on the roots uh, to break it up. It's in Canada. Uh, <laughs> Pack decides, right, bollocks this. I'm going, for, I'm going for the hammer, uh, but uh, gets... I, was, I think I would describe it as getting scorpioned. He gets hit with a diving DDT through the ropes and again contorts himself into a ridiculous position. You think, right, well, that's the rough DDT spot for a pack. Nope, does it again. Once he gets back in the ring, gets spiked uh, by Orange Cassidy and then nailed by an orange punch for a near fall that the crowd nearly bites on. Cassidy goes up top, but pack uses his offense, gets him slowly, rolls to the uh, side of the ring, uh, but he gets hit with a beach break, uh, blocks the orange punch, punch those does pack. Uh, and uh, does a bridging suplex into the Brutalizer. Again, Cassidy just gets to the ropes. Pack's been busted open some some way in amongst all this, which only makes things better, of course. Um, goes for the hammer. Uh, they're all like, no, no, don't do it. Um, a ring attendant, in fact, stops him. But the ring attendant turns out to be, then as wave Dan Housen's there. You turned Scarlet doing that impression. He, uh, he, he curses Pack. Uh, Dan Housen gets chinned, obviously. Bryce is like, right, give me the hammer. Pack's got a backup hammer <laughs> under the ring that he grabs. Uh, but Cassidy hits an orange punch. The hammer's there on the floor. Bryce is like, don't do it, don't do it. Backup hangman hammer. <laughs> Pack gets a roll up for a two count, but Cassidy pops up. Orange punch, not the orange punch. One, two, three. Orange Cassidy is the all-Atlantic champion, and we get a lovely celebration afterwards. Orange confetti and the best friends and a nice group hug to send everyone home happy. Yeah, absolutely love this. Absolutely love this. When I bleat on and on and on and on and on about, uh, did this match on Raw need to go 18 minutes? No, because this went 11. It subverted a match that I remember vividly happening two years ago, two and a half years ago, because it was so iconic and memorable and great. They played with that. This felt like the real sequel and all the rest of the stuff was good, but it only needed these two matches realistically. As much as the story went very on the nose um, over the past month, what a beautiful end to just this very charming story and a wonderful moment for the career of Orange Cassidy. It's funny you mentioned Scorpion, right? You know the worst botches you've ever seen where you think, oh, yeah. when they do, when they go too short um, or too Lita. long. <laughs> yeah, on a... Well, the do it once. Red oh, Velvet yeah. does it. Red Velvet. Yeah. yeah. And they do that horrible thing where you think, how have you not broken your neck? Pack's such an athlete, with such incredible control over his body that he does this on purpose for dramatic effect. <laughs> how on earth does he do this? Yeah. It's unbelievable. So that added to the match. The rolling down the ramp was just... Unbelievable. It's like, you know, in Pac's mind, you know, like when you're in the horror film, it's like the zombies can't move 
fast, but it's the dread with the shuffle, and it's something so inhuman that you're kind of frozen in fear. The idea that he gets the dread from someone just rolling sideways <laughs> to him, it's just another beautiful way of illustrating how this is a really nice, irreverent story. And as much as I didn't like it, He's so lazy that when the ramp flattens out, he goes, well, I'm not rolling anymore. <laughs> like, the, when the ramp's, when gravity's not helping me, can bollocks. I think Ghetto will be wanting to sign him up with, I know it didn't work because the rules are very, very lax in AEW. They don't do DQs or count outs. They'll sometimes just use weapons right in front of the ref, like the cables last week with Roosh, and just think, well, come on, tighten up a little bit. <laughs> so as much as you didn't think a countdown would happen... Ghetto would be like, right, well, that was 9.999. I think you might have perfected my favorite thing. <laughs> Please come to the promotion because that was so acute. It was so well done. The action here was tremendous. Drama out the ass. Pac's an absolute freak. OC selling was great. Mm-hmm. 11 minutes, near perfect TV match. Noise out the ass. Yeah, echo all of that. Like, I'm a sucker for uh, like that whole thing. It's very, very obvious, but that doesn't make it bad when the baby face... Teases using the weapon, but decides better of it. I love that stuff. Like it's timeless when delivered correctly, and when the fans are with the babyface, because everybody is, everybody knows. Like the babyface is the last person to know that. Well, if you do that, it's a disqualification. So watching them remember it and just crack on by with being good guys is awesome. That last chance feeling that you had with Orange Cassidy, which isn't ideal, but you've maximised it to the yes. best possible yeah, end here. Win, yeah. Another just something that really stuck with me off the back of this, a reminder, and one isn't really needed at the moment because I think fundamentally Tony Khan wants to do right by fans and Triple H is at least trying for now. Another reminder that, like, why, Vince McMahon, did you do this for so many years? What is it about wrestling promoters that makes them obsessed with being arseholes to their fans? Because who gives a shiny sh about the All-Atlantic title, but then in the context of something for one night, everybody was That's prestigious. That's it. Orange Cassidy is holding it up. It's like, oh, it turns out that's the most important belt in wrestling yeah. for this 10, 15 minutes. Like, this is what happens when you're just kind to your fans and kind to your audience. Audiences will give you so much more than often you deserve. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just like another stark reminder to not take the piss out of audiences because this was great in and of itself. Who knows what's going to become of Orange Cassidy, All-Atlantic champion. But right now, you're kind of, they gave him the belt. Which yeah. belt? They gave him the belt. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Like that, and it just, it felt great. It felt like a moment in spite of what it might end up being down the line, and sometimes that's enough. A lovely end to a AW Dynamite. Let us know your thoughts on the whole show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch there, you can follow all three of us on Twitter. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Myself and the Dally Boys will be back to answer all of your Twitter questions a little bit later on today. But for now, the AW Dynamite review is done. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.